0: Last week we were looking in Hebrews chapter 4. I guess some of us would remember. And What I want to do tonight really is to just continue along the same lines um, because this whole idea of the grace of God and of the mercy of God and of the goodness of God and this new found love and this new relationship that we have with Christ I think is such a new place for us that you know, if we spend another ten years talking about it, we probably really wouldn't even come close to uncovering all of the all of the things, all of the plans that God has for us. Amen. So I'm always excited just to keep keep us engaged in that space, in that area, especially given the fact that, you know, for so many years. We have not understood the rest of God, you know. And so last week we spoke about how what we really need is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many people remember that? We said that we need to enter into rest from hiding. You remember we said that there is nothing that is actually hidden from the eyes of God. Paul said that in Hebrews chapter 4, that all things really, nothing is hidden from the eyes of God. So, if we're going to enter into the rest of God, we need to understand that we can come before God and let him know. And not feel ashamed. Come boldly before the throne of grace, the Bible says. Amen. So, we stop working to pretend like we're anything other than we are. Amen. Amen. So we're seizing from our works in that sense. We're coming before God we're able to say, you know, God, this is where I am. This is who I am. Um, and the other thing is we also want to enter into rest because we know that Jesus Christ already has done everything. So I want to take it out from there tonight because I think it's a very slippery slope. You know, when we say we're entering into rest, knowing Jesus already accomplished all. It's very, very slippery slope when you think about it. I mean, what does that mean? Does it, does it mean that I do nothing? And you also, also hopefully remember that when we talked about the rest of God, we said when we say God rested, it didn't mean that God ceased from working. Amen? So in six days, God created the heavens and the earth. I gave the example of if you were building a car, if you were building a boat, and it took you so much time to build a car, to, to build a boat, Once you've built the car or the boat and you are enjoying the boat or the car or your house or the thing that you spent a lot of time building or making, you're entering into a rest, right? But it's not cessation from work. Hallelujah. All right, so, but when we talk about rest in this sense, I said it can be a slippery slope because... You know, you you say, so as a Christian today, how do I enter into what I call the rule of God? That's that's what I call it, right? The rule of God. Because now that God has created the heavens and the earth, or that God has made his boat, if you like, in six days, he's now ruling the boat. He gives instruction and command to the earth that he has made. Pretty much like if you own a car, your car doesn't tell you where it's going, right? We tell our car where it's going to go. You got in your car tonight and you determined you were coming here and hopefully your car didn't say to you, "No, know, I'm not coming. Amen? It just went where you wanted to go. Why? Because you are the ruler of it. You are the one in charge of it. So I just want to continue a little bit in that space and spend a minute or two um, to help us Really embrace that truth and that position. It's it's not a very easy thing to to embrace. I'm telling you, at least for me, it's not. Maybe it is for you. Especially in your everyday practice or walk with God. It's it's I find myself very regularly just wanting to go back to what I know to do. You know, go back to the works of the law go back to wanting to prove myself. Especially when things aren't working out. It's very easy to suddenly think, the reason things are not working out for me is because God is not pleased with me. Am I just talking to myself? Right? So, I want us to, I I, I really want to, I I was studying this and I find this very, very interesting. I just want us to look at it together. So, in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, reading out of the KJV. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And from verse 2 through about verse 17, it gives you a history of how Jesus Christ came to being born. His fathers, his great-grandfather, his great-great-grandfathers, and just trace the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. From verse 2 through verse 17. Now watch this. What I find quite exciting about that is as follows. When it says that this is the genealogy. This, sorry, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Imagine this verse read as follows. Once upon a time. And so forth and so on. If you read like that, you would say that you're reading a myth, or a story, or some idea, or some script, or whatever else you want to call it. But this is tracing the history of the Lord Jesus Christ, specifically the history of his birth. And I'm so grateful to God that that book didn't start out by saying that once upon a time, because there is such a remarkable difference between a myth and a piece of news, especially if it is good news. Just stay with me for a second. So let's think together. What is the difference between a piece of news? And a myth. Uh, I mean, if I'm telling you a myth, you know, at best, maybe I'm giving advice. I mean, that story may, at the end of the story, you say, we will say things like this. You know, what is in this story that we can, that we can learn, right? That That's what happens when you're telling a story, when you're telling a myth. You tell a myth or a story and then you say, okay, so what are the takeaways from this story that we have just read? And I find that many relationships or many religions are essentially just myths. You know, they're telling you a story about how something ought to be. About a God with who they don't have any real relationship. This book didn't start that way. It says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. This is history. This is good news. This is something that happened in place and in time and recorded for you and I. You see why is that that important? So, let's imagine that uh, Water Richard Four Nations is a big city. Okay? And there's an invasion that's coming against Water Richard Four Nations. By the way, in the news recently there's been this thing going around, MERS. You guys heard of it? Middle East um, respiratory syndrome. Yeah, maybe some of us haven't, but uh, there's apparently some respiratory problem in the Middle East to which they've not been able to find a solution or a cure just yet. And people who come from the Middle East uh, into the United States, you know, they're really watching them very closely because it seems like they may you know infect um, people who live here. You and I know, though, that if a person with MERS comes and sits next to you today, even if that thing comes on you, it will by no means hurt you. Why? Because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is not only giving his word, but he's promised you in his word that he's healed you of your infirmities and of your diseases and so forth and so on. But still, I want us to be careful. That's why I'm telling us that. Okay, so imagine that we're hearing that there's going to be an invasion of MERS MERS on the city of Lawrenceville. That this mighty soldier, that there's going to be an invasion of these soldiers on this city. Well, we might then prepare a body of military men. And what they will do is they will find whoever is in charge in this new city or in this new town or in this town, and the military men will begin to give advice as to what must happen. Uh, so if there was a king in this place, they will say to King Sami Badaki. How many, how many of you know that Sami Badaki is a king? <laughs> they will say King Sami Badaki. You know what? If they come, this is where the artillery men should sit or should stay. This is where the captains should stand. They may give me advice as the one who is in charge of these people as to what to do. Correct? If it already happened though, if I am the king in this town, and it already so happened there was an invasion of my town, of my city. What I will do is, I will send good news to the people of that city. To let them know that once upon a time in history and in space, there was an invasion of this town by something called MERS. And I, as a powerful, mighty king, dealt with with this problem once and for all. And because I have dealt with it and have rested freedom for my citizens and for my subjects, I can tell my citizens, do not be afraid. Amen? This is the difference between advice and good news. The gospel is good news. Jesus Christ is not a set of advice as to how we should conduct our lives. Which is really essentially what other religions are. If you live like this, then you know, you stand a chance of being able to making it into heaven. Maybe you will, maybe you will not. As a young man myself, I struggled with this whole idea. The way Christianity was presented to me was some idea about if I lived a certain way. I stand a chance of making it into the bosom of God. Into resting in some time in the future. And I struggle with it because I wanted some certainty. I wanted something that assured me. That the one who is promising me is not guessing. And you know how we say that, you know, why are you telling me about a heaven? Who has died and gone to heaven and come back? The reason we can assuredly say that we're living in the earth as men who have a real assured relationship or blessed assurance is because we're dealing with one who came from the place we want to go to. Oh, this is such good news. I'm telling you. The other guys haven't been where they're telling you you can make it too. If you would lived a certain kind of way. I'm dealing with a guy who came from the place I want to go to. Praise the name of Jesus. And he came to tell me that because I could not attain the right to enter into this place that he came from, which is the place I want to go, that he came to take me. This is what I loved about Christianity. This is what I love about fellowship with Jesus Christ. That he took my place. That I was living my life as a man who thought he was in charge of his life. Essentially essentially taking the place of God in my life. Because I thought I knew how to conduct my life. I thought I had the rule of my own life. And in so thinking, I could not rest. And so, Lord says to you, you you have to do, and do, and do, and do, and do some more. And maybe, if you do enough, if you do long enough, if you do consistently enough, then, only then, do you have a chance of making it into the place that you really want to go. gospel which is good news of the Lord Jesus Christ says to me no I have come to take your place and be where you ought to be which is out in the cold that's where I ought to be and he's telling me that he's come to take my place and so the king of glory was born in a manger the creator how is that even possible? But if he did not do that, I could not accept what he's offering me. I needed someone to take my place. Not promise me of some place in the by and by. So all the things I'm saying, I'm saying the thing, the thing that I said last week and what I'm saying right now, I'm saying that to essentially say this. That the Christian faith and the Christian walk is really not about and I want to be careful how I say this because this can be misinterpreted but it's really honestly not about how you live your life. Even though Christianity has in it a certain way of living. It does. But Christianity really is about at the end of the day, what do you believe? That's really what it's about. If you really believe Jesus Christ, then you will carry yourself and you will live a certain kind of way. Remember that in Hebrews chapter 4 we read, it says that we should take it lest we do what? We fall short or we come short of the rest of God that has promised unto us, the promise of God. It says that we should take it, otherwise we will come short of it. And we define coming short as what? Who remembers? How did we define coming short? That if I give you something and you don't fully apprehend what I have given you, then you came short of what I gave you, right? If I give you $1,000 and in your rush and in your hurry, well, let me see if I give you $100. Uh, let, me, let me throw this in while I'm saying it. Did you know that the United States is the only country in the world where every note is the same size, the same color? And the same exact... It looks the same. $1 looks exactly the same as a $100, $100 bill. There's no other nation. I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure why they did it that way. There's no other nation on the surface of the world that has that. You know, but anyway, so my point is if I give you $100 or $100 bill in 10 $10 bills and you took only one because you thought I gave you 10 Well, what you've done is you came short of what I gave you. So, Paul says, you watch yourself, guys. You new believer Christians, take heed to yourself. Do not repeat the error of your forebears and the people who went ahead of you in the Old Testament. Because they came short and they did not fully enter into the promise of God. Why? How? How did they not enter into the promise of God? Because they did not, because they did not believe. So the central Christian question at the end of the day is, what do you believe? That's really what you need to deal with. That's a central Christian question. And that's why you find in all of January and February, when we were looking into the, when we had the bridegroom fast, again and again and again and again in the book of john the word that kept showing forth and showing out and we kept just dealing with this word again and again was what yeah At the end of the day, that's really the question what do you believe because jesus christ is all about good news Is all about good news every single day do you believe this Because you see, when you do, it will begin to show forth in your relationship. It will begin to show forth in your attitude. It will begin to manifest in your conversations. Do you believe that tomorrow is going to be better than today? Sounds simple. But it's a profound question. Because what you believe about tomorrow, today, would determine how you enter in. If you have have an expectation of another regular day, that your tomorrow will look no better than your today, that you meet the struggles of today tomorrow, and that you will not be any better off in dealing with those struggles tomorrow than you were today, you're already defeated. That's not good news. How is that good news? How is that exciting? I mean, if you call me and you tell me, you know, I mean, I, I really just hope you guys stay with me. I mean, there's a reason I'm going in this direction tonight, and you've seen that I've not, I'm not really even opening a lot of um Bible verses and scriptures. But I think that we have really come to this place where our expectations And not coming from a place where we believe the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. I I don't think we have a real expectation of a better today, let alone of a better tomorrow. I am always thinking, well not always, but most of the time. I wonder when my children come home tomorrow, I want to surprise them. I want to do something I haven't done before. You know what I mean? Do you seriously honestly know what I mean? Because I have an expectation that when I wake up tomorrow that is, there is laid before me even in the presence of my enemies that God is preparing a table of feast before me. And that he will have in it the very thing that I need, even when I don't know what it is. That's my expectation. If there are things that are bothering me today, I have a real expectation that before I wake up, or in fact before I go to sleep, that even when I come out of this room, I am always full of this hope and this expectation that the superabundant grace of God is able to meet every need that I have. In fact has met all of my needs already. And so Paul God said uh, Paul said he went to God three times about an issue that was confronting him. I said God would you not deal with this matter? God can you not deal with this matter? I know that you're a mighty God. Please deal with this matter. And What did God say to him? Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. There is within this thing that we're calling grace, wrapped in it, every answer to every problem that can come against man. I want to answer my children's questions before they ask it. I'm not always successful, by the way. But that's the place I want to be. Because I know that that's a super abundance grace that's available to me. Are, are you guys? Are you? Are you with me? What is the expectation you have for Sunday when you come here on Sunday? What expectation do you have when you come to prayer at ten o'clock in the morning on Sunday? What is your expectation for the service itself? What is your expectation when you go to work tomorrow? I mean, are we just? Living life in the hope that things will get better. Or, some of us may be under the illusion that if I get a raise and I get more money, my life will be sweeter and it will be better. Money is good. But I needn't tell you that there are so many problems that money cannot solve. My brothers and my sisters, the message I have come to give you from your father tonight is simply as follows that the good news of Jesus Christ, that this thing that we call the gospel, and we say it very casually. is not only real and true because Matthew didn't start by telling us a story once upon a time. It was set in a place and a time. Jesus Christ actually came, lived, fulfilled the law, took my place in hell and now sits at the right hand of God the Father. If that is your case, You ought to have an expectation. You ought to have a real expectation. You ought to be dreaming of things that are unlawful for even a man to dream of. And I'm telling you, we're not seeing these things because we have no expectations. When we ask, we ask mostly in religious unbelief. Yes, the Bible says we have because we ask not. But if you don't have a real expectation that is rooted in reality, Jesus Christ, again, is not a myth. Jesus Christ was a man. He came, he lived. There were people who saw him. It isn't just the Bible that gives us the record of of the life of Jesus Christ, it's not just the Bible. There were men who saw him. There were men who saw him when he rose again from the dead. The names that we read of Pilate and Herod and all these men, there were men who lived in time. I don't believe in a fable. If Jesus Christ was not real, then we're hopeless of all men. We're most miserable. There's no point in really serving this God. None. I'm not serving him because the story is—it feels good. If you die, you go to heaven and a buy and by, Oh, that's nice. But that sure is not enough for me. And so that's all I've come to tell you tonight. That God is asking us to have a real expectation. to really believe him for who he says he is not just a mighty god but an almighty god you know there's a difference you ask me what is the difference I'll tell you at age 86 Abraham when you read his history Between 86 and 99, for about a period of 13, 14 years, there was complete, absolute silence between him and God. At this time, he already took, what's her name? Hagar. And they already had Ishmael. And God was quiet. Because like you and I, he was taking the law, as we say, into his own hands. He became the rule of his own life. The promise of God to him was God. God says, I will make your name great. In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, right? So there remains a promise of God. There you go again. Unto him. And so in order to bring that to pass, he listened to his wife. And he took Hagar, the law. And they produced Ishmael. And so, for 13 years, God was quiet. But watch this. In all those years, though, Abraham was experiencing victory like crazy. Because he knew of a mighty God. They took Abraham's um, nephew, Lot. Lot. It was four kings that came against him, bro. Four kings. With professional soldiers. Invaded their city and took Lot away. He says, what? He took his homegrown soldiers who didn't number numerically in strength to compete with the four armies that have come against him. Who does that? If you don't believe in a mighty God, you you who puts his life at risk like that? You say, ah, is a mighty has taking him? Off. Let's beg. Let's plead. Maybe we can ask America for help. No, he took his armies. The few. Homegrown men that he had in the house. He pursued these armies. Fought them to the ground. And wrested his nephew from their hands. Glory to God. You better believe this guy knew of a mighty God. And I know that. I don't need to convince you. That we serve a mighty God. Do I need to convince you? You wake up in the morning. And you tell me what you had to do with the sun coming out. Tell me if it was your prayer that made sure that there's enough oxygen for all of the inhabitants of the earth to breathe. Tell me if it's by your own intercession that there is this balance in the ecosystem where the seas know exactly where to not overflow. What do you have to do with that? Absolutely nada, nothing. So you know There is a mighty God. But do you know of an almighty God? That's a big difference. Because God then appeared to Abraham and said to him, that walk, he said, I am the almighty God. Now walk before me and be blameless. Up until then, what I'm saying to us is that God to Abraham was a mighty God. But he was not necessary, necessarily an almighty God. And so for many of us, there are areas in our lives where maybe, you know, your brothers have told you or you've seen enough miracles in churches or your cousins have experienced victory in certain areas or maybe you were born into a family of mighty men and You've seen God demonstrate his might in one area or another. You don't have problems believing God in those areas and you can easily enter into victory in some of those areas because you know that God is a mighty God. But my question is, do you know God as an almighty God? Because that's really what he is. He's almighty God. So he says to Paul, my grace is more than sufficient. My grace is so powerful, I can make the problem go away. Because I am the almighty God. But my grace is sufficient enough that it can put enough in you that you can withstand the problem as well. Because I am the almighty God. This is the grace that I carry. This is the grace that you carry in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm saying the day has come. God is saying to you and I, the time has come that we begin to really knock on the door of heaven. As true believers in the work, in the complete and finished work of grace that Jesus Christ has commended into your hands and into my hands. So that when you go before God in prayer, That you're going to know that your God is the almighty God. That he's the all-sufficient God. That he's the many-breasted God. Whatever your problem is, his rule is enough to deal with it. No matter what it is. He's figured out the solution before the problem arose in my mind and in my head. But do you believe? I'm not advising you. I'm telling you of a truth. That there is a God who is almighty. He defeated all of the armies of hell before he invited you into fellowship with him. That's why nothing surprises him. So there are times in my personal life and in my personal reality, for instance, when my children will say to me, Daddy, I want this. And maybe I don't have the money to buy the thing. I go to God, I say, okay, God, because you are the almighty God, you're going to give me the resources to acquire this. Or you're going to make the desire deplete in the heart of the child. The Bible says to you and I, it is nothing to God to save by few or by many. It doesn't matter. Who cares how it happens? He can save by few or by many. He saves, that's all that's important. <laughs> I say, God saves. Your God saves. My God saves. He is a saving God. Hallelujah. That's why we can enter into his rest. That's why we can boldly come before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace that's already there to help. That's why I can enter into rest. No matter what my situation or my circumstances, sometimes I ain't trying to rest with with you know, really shaking. But I stand firm. I may be afraid, my God is not. My heart may be palpit palp- what's what word I'm looking for? Palpitating? Yes, thank you. Within me. I'm beating so hard it looks like it may just rip my chest open and come out of it. I stand firm, however, anyways. Because I know that my God already brought victory before I enter. He has. He ha- if it's not that way, then there's, we are, you are a miserable man. It can be sometimes. It cannot be. It cannot be. It cannot be. My grace is sufficient. In wrapping this up, this is a picture I believe that God gave me that I want to share with you. Do we have anyone who is in engineering? Yes. Coco, you're an engineer, right? Okay, so, if I'm not telling the truth, we're about to find out. So help me God. So God, yes. But I think I remember when I was in school, I think this must have been in physics. When or to generate electricity you take the negative and the positive electrons, right? And they come together, right? And they produce current. Is that true, guys? That's how you produce current, right? Not bad for an old man, right? Yeah, not bad. i'm right thank you why is this significant please again confirm whether or not this is true if i took negative if i took negative current i'm sorry negative electrons with negative if i took two negatives can i produce electricity No, please say it out loud. Can I produce electricity with two negatives? No, you can't. You actually can't. Yeah. What about two positives? Can I produce electricity with two positives? Hallelujah to God. You know, I find God just so beautiful because I think that he speaks to us in so many different ways. He's trying so hard to get you to believe I don't even think this thing works that way because I mean, think about it. Why is it a positive and a negative? I believe that even in that is the good news of Jesus Christ. I believe the way, the reason God designed it so is to use even that to speak to you and I. Because it's only negative and positive that produces power. Hallelujah. So I'm standing here. I'm negative. I don't have it together. I fall short of the power of God every now and then. I don't live. I'm not quite up to the mark yet. Amen. But acknowledge that. That I am but man. And that yes, I am frail. And that every now and then, something will come out of my mouth that I want to take back in. Negative. I will speak a word that I would rather not speak. Negative. Negative. I am not not completely fulfilling all of the law. Negative. Amen? Well, I can take my negative and go and find another brother. And pour my problem into him. What's that? That's negative and negative. Where is the power? No power. Zero power. Or, I be negative can pretend that I don't know that I'm negative and pretend to be positive still no power I can go to my sister and I'll be positive and she says yes you know uh, I say she says how are you doing bro I said what is it popular how do we answer each other in Christianity when they say how are you doing what blessed and highly favored or what it's well that's what I'm looking for thank you its it well it's well it's well that's the that's a more popular thing as well. How are you doing? <laughs> it's, it's well, my brother. <laughs> you know you're lying. You know it ain't well with you? Yes! So that's why you don't want to say it. Because they have said to you, do not be negative. Be positive. But you are not positive. That's why there's no power. <laughs> there's no power. They say, don't say it. Take it to God. He welcomes your negative. He so designed it because the only way current is coming, the only way you're going to generate power for that situation, the only way there's going to be a solution is you take your negative into this domain of the rule of, the Jeho- of, 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 of Jehovah. Where there's only positive. You bring your negative into this positive. Boom! Glory to God, the light comes on. Suddenly you can see. suddenly you have peace. suddenly you know it is well with my soul and you can sing it with blessed assurance. You are not saying it from here. you are singing it from here. They're looking at you and say, "Ah come, why are you looking like everything is okay? Oh, if you only know what I know, is it because you got it together? No, I especially don't got it together. And I can so tell you, I am negative. I fall short of the standards of God. But I have a God who is altogether beautiful, positive. In him, there is no variableness. There is no shadow. When he turns, he doesn't cast a shadow the reason I cast a shadow is because the sun is shining or the light is shining from outside of me and I'm reflecting the thing so I cast a shadow he carries the sun in him he created the light it's coming from out of him he's turning cast no shadow he's altogether beautiful so when I'm singing that my God is altogether beautiful oh that's what I mean I mean that there is only positive in this God I mean, that there's only good in this God. I mean, there's only power in this God. He's all knowing. He's all kind. He's all loving. He's all merciful. But He's also Almighty God. And yes, I am weak. Yes, I'm small. I'm finite. I'm one person. And I'm one small, lowly man. But I take this smallness. And I put it into the hand of this almighty God. And you better watch out. Because you're about to see something that you have never seen before. Glory to God. You're about to experience power like you have never experienced it before. So he says, my grace is sufficient for you. God is inviting us today. Let's make some power. Let's produce some light. So he says, come to me. You who are already, you who have found the solution. Come to me who? You who are negative. That's who he wants to give rest to. Don't come to me haughty and mighty. You are not. Satan will make misment of you if you come that way. So every time you open your mouth and you say something you're not supposed to say, acknowledge it, and you say, "God, let's do ma- let's do some magic together." Why? I don't mean magic like that. You know, you know what I mean. God, let's do some things together. The moment you say or you do the thing you know you ought not to say or to do, He's not He's not He's not He's not He's not angry with you. That's what I'm trying to say. That's when we should run to Him and say, "Father, I just messed up. I just..." He said, come, it's okay, come, 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 come. Come in. He opens his arm wide. Carries me in his arm. And when I come out of that place, come victorious. and Power. Because the resurrection life and the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ dwells in each and every one of us. So the Bible says if the spirit of him the condition is the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. If that self same spirit dwells in you. So again it's a question of belief. Does it dwell in you? Because he pulled Jesus from the dead. Every death, every dead situation in our lives, God is looking to give life to his resurrection, life, and power. But he's asking us this evening to come humbly, to come just as we are, to come acknowledging that he is God and that we're not, that he's big and that we're small, that he's almighty and that we're not, that he's all sufficient. And that we're lacking. That he's altogether beautiful. Altogether lovely. Altogether sufficient. And that I'm not. That I'm negative, And that he's positive. And he says, if you come in that like, in that manner. In that like manner. I will create my power. So that those who see you. Will know of a surety. That you serve a true and a living God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. You are truly lovely. What's that song? Yes, that's one I want to sing. Yeah. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say You're my God. You're all together love All together All together wonder oh, to me. Here I am Here I am to worship Here I am to bow down, down. Here, Here I, I am, am to say that You alone You are my Yes, you're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. You're all together lovely, all together worthy together wonderful to me father we thank you tonight there is only good in you you are so good you tell us in your word we should come before you because your loving kindness is better than life itself. Wow. Make this real to us tonight, oh God. That it will condition our conversations. That we'll be mindful that we serve not just a mighty God, but an almighty God. That you are beautiful and enough for every circumstance and every situation. We thank you tonight as we stand before you, God, victorious, knowing that you completely destroyed every invading army that can come against us. Whether it be sickness, sickness, whether it be poverty, whether it be stress, whatsoever it is, we start knowing that you send us good news. You say, it is finished. It's complete. And now we enter in into fellowship of your rest, our God. We lay hold on that which you have apprehended for us. That we can apprehend that for which we have already been apprehended. We enter fully into your rest tonight. We acknowledge that you are God and we are not. That you are altogether lovely. Altogether worthy. Altogether wonderful unto us. Thank you. You tell us that the light or the path of the righteous you say it shines brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter until a perfect day. We thank you for today but we thank you even for tomorrow because you'll be way better than today because you're already there. We thank you for the table that you're prepared in the presence of our enemies. We sit together with you in heavenly places, oh God, victorious, complete and whole in you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen.